pray. Father, we humbly ask you now that we would hear your words, even the things that are uncomfortable truths. I pray now that anything that I say that is not from you, that would be thrown away by everyone, forgotten. But that any words that come from you, that they would be deeply embedded in each and every one of us, that we might be changed and sanctified by them. In your holy name. How many of you have mastered the following phrase? Thank you so much. I love it. The kids haven't yet. Like the, the high school students, they're just like, that's their face when they get a gift they don't like. In researching for this sermon, I came across um, a very reputable website with some great information. It's called Wikipedia. And there was this WikiHow article, and there was pictures included. It's how to react to a gift you do not like. So let's walk through this together. First, you want to make sure you say the right things. Tell them you like the gift, but don't tell them it's the best gift ever or you're going to use it all the time. Okay? Next, make sure you react to the thought of the gift. Third, ask questions about the gift. Deflect, deflect, deflect. You don't want them asking you questions about the gift. And then lastly, this is Wikipedia again. This is not me. Lie if you're comfortable lying. That's what they tell you to do. So we've all been in this uncomfortable situation before, and some of us were put in this position last Sunday. And when it happens to us, we all are hoping and praying for the same thing, that there's a gift receipt. This past week, I would venture a guess that many of you returned at least one gift that you received. Um, my wife, Lalia, she got me a really sweet and thoughtful present. It was uh, a horseback riding trip in Pebble. Now, I like horses. I don't. It's an irrational love for horses. I know nothing about them. I don't ride them, nothing. I just see them, and I'm like, wow, that's an awesome animal. And so she thought about this, and she, she got me this horseback riding uh, excursion in Pebble Beach. Now, she has had back surgery and has... Uh, degenerative disc disease, so she can't ride horses herself. So the thought of me, a grown man, horseback riding by myself in Pebble Beach, I just, <laughs> I couldn't bring myself to do it, honestly. So that was my one return of the year. Um, yeah, if anyone wants to go horseback riding, maybe, maybe we can go together, um, as long as my wife approves, I guess. Um, so regardless of the reason for our returns, and regardless of how much the gift giver insists on it being fine, moms are really good at that, a return feels like a rejection. We try to be as polite as possible, and yet we're all essentially saying, I don't want your gift. For Christians, the Holy Spirit gives unique kinds of gifts. And praise be to God, these gifts are strictly non-returnable. This is because God is the one who decides. He is the one who knows which gift is best for us. These spiritual gifts are different from talents that God has bestowed upon each person. Talents or natural abilities are given to everyone, and usually they never go away because they're something that's innately wired into us. Whereas spiritual gifts are reserved for Christians, and sometimes they come and go depending on the circumstance and what God is trying to achieve through his people and through his church. 
So our passage this morning deals with one of several lists of gifts in the Bible. This particular uh, list is from Paul's first letter to Corinth. And Corinth was kind of like an ancient San Francisco, if you will. And so you have this city with a bunch of different people groups. And a lot of them had the means, the finances, to actually leave, to live a hedonistic lifestyle. Whatever they wanted, whatever gave them pleasure, they could go ahead and do. And so the church that Paul was writing to was known for giving um, the apostles some indigestion because of all the issues that they were having. And this morning's verses and nearly the rest of all of this particular epistle are addressing the concern that members are getting a little willy-nilly with their practicing of the spiritual gift. And willy-nilly is a theological term, in case you all were wondering. So they're getting willy-nilly with their spiritual gifts. And Paul wants to teach his brothers and sisters in Christ about the purpose and appropriate practice of spiritual gifts. So here's an example for you all that's helpful for me. My son Silas received a gigantic bag of plastic balls for Christmas from his aunt. And I was very upset at such a a gift because I was just imagining what this was going to turn into. But my wife solved the problem very easily. She just poured them all into his pack-and-play, right? And then just plopped them down in the pack-and-play. I think we got a picture of that. So he is absolutely loving, like, the, this gift because it, we have this system set up in place where the balls can be confined into this space. Okay, take that down. Now imagine if instead we just poured the balls all over the house, Okay. Silas would probably still like it. He'd just do his commando crawl across the floor and throw balls around. Mommy and Daddy wouldn't like it because it would be chaotic. Likewise, the Corinthians are basically using their gifts all over the place without any order. So let's open up God's Word and hear what he has to say through his Apostle Paul. Please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12, I mean 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 4. And we're going to work through this a couple verses at a time. So let's begin with verses 4 through 6. Hold up your Bible when you're there. I'm just kidding. We're not that kind of church. (laughs) Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So, these gifts are diverse, but are unified under the truth that they come from the same gift giver. There's unity in their diversity. The word used for gifts here is charismata, which is, the root, the root for charismata is charis, which is, which is grace in Greek. And the implication is that Paul wants to be sure that his readers know that these gifts are signs of God's free grace and are in no way earned by their recipients. And earlier in this epistle, Paul writes something, and and he's asking a rhetorical question, a couple of them. He says, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if it were not a gift? So first things first, God is the gift giver, and he gives an assortment of gifts to whomever he pleases. Verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. God gives gifts in order to bless everybody. 
The gifts are not intended for personal gain, but instead are for the good of the entire church family. We're not to hoard our gifts, but instead utilize them in service to others. Let's finish out the passage, verses 8 through 11. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. If you are a Christian, then you have at least one spiritual gift. God spreads the wealth. He is not stingy with this. These gifts are not reserved for certain individuals or some spiritually elite class of people. But if you heard what I just read and none of those gifts really you thought of yourself, don't worry. There's all sorts of other gifts that are in Scripture like uh, the gift of serving, teaching, helps, encouraging, exhorting, mercy, giving, leading, evangelizing, and administration. In this morning's passage, Paul is speaking to a hyper-spiritual group of believers. They would all automatically know what these spiritual gifts were because they were all using them. But a lot of scholars believe that not only were they using them, they might have been abusing them a little bit. And I chose this passage because of all the spiritual gifts in the New Testament. I think these are the ones that rub up the most against our Presbyterian sensibilities. We often relegate these sorts of gifts to those other people, those other churches, maybe the Charismatics, the Pentecostals, the house churches. Or as one person jokingly told me this week, oh sure, those, those sorts of gifts happen. Just not in America. It was a joke, but it's partially true. Because if you look at the global church and where it's growing the most rapidly in the global south and some of the persecuted countries, there is a crazy outpouring of the Spirit. Unexplainable things are happening. And if you want to know more about this, ask any of our missionaries that are going to those places. Ask Pastor Rick about his experience in Brazil. So let me take just a stab at giving a brief explanation for each of the gifts contained in these verses. Now, we could just do a sermon series on these and just do a verse at a time, but I think the following will do for this morning's purposes. So the first three are simple enough. Certain people are given a supernatural... I think it's going to show up there for you, hopefully. The first three are simple enough. Got them? Good. Okay. Um, Some people are given a supernatural dose of wisdom and the ability to give excellent counsel. Others have access to a knowledge that goes beyond what they should know. And then some people have an extra measure of faith in Christ that is not swayed by any sort of circumstance or hardship. A lot of times in Scripture, people with this gift also, and they end up martyring. Like martyrs have this gift of faith because they'll follow Christ to the very end. The next couple gifts should get some of you to perk up a little bit. There are Christians who have the gift of healing. Those who I personally know with this gift tell me a couple things. First, it does not rest on them, meaning God moves as he wills, 
And therefore, they cannot simply roam around commanding that God heal people left and right. Second, there's no fancy prayer that's associated with this, this conjuring of the Spirit. It's very simply praying for someone in the power of Jesus Christ that he would come and heal them. The same could be said about the gift of miracles. These are signs and wonders in line with some of the things that Christ and the disciples were doing. So if you see in the Gospels, Jesus is sending out not only his 12, but the 72, and he's empowering them, and they're doing all of these miraculous signs and wonders. Some people still have that ability today, which is awesome. Um, So next, we've got Paul saying that some people can prophesy. This is the spirit-given ability to see God's truth and communicate what God wants to say. And then still others have the gift of discernment of spirits, which allows them to determine whether or not someone or something is actually from God. So this is very helpful with false teachers. And then finally, we have the gifts of speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues. And honestly, I'm just going to let Paul take this one for a minute. So this is what Paul says later in that chapter, in chapter 14, verse 27 through 28. He says, If anyone speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let them be silent in church and speak to themselves and to God. So this church seemingly had a special affinity for the gift of tongues, which is like an angelic prayer language brought on by the Holy Spirit. And honestly, if you've ever heard it, it sounds like incoherent babbling to a casual, casual listener. Thus, you could imagine if a bunch of people are speaking in tongues somewhere, it could get pretty chaotic, and you wouldn't be able to hear what was going on. And this is because people are placing too high of an emphasis on this particular gift. And honestly, the same is still true today of some churches and people. Some, some churches just have too much of a focus on the spiritual, thus becoming a detriment and a distraction to the proclamation of God's word. So then why does God give these sorts of gifts? Let me first begin with an explanation that should set the table for the rest of the sermon. And hopefully, um, give some of you who are nervous, this will ease you a little bit. This is from Martin Luther, which is someone that we can trust on most fronts. So, this is what Martin Luther says. This is how he differentiates between two ways God approaches us. He says the first way is the outer way. This is through the preached word and sacraments, which are baptism and the Lord's Supper. And two... We've got the the inner way, and that's through the Holy Spirit and his gifts. Luther's saying both ways are needed, but the outer is primary, and the inner is a function of the outer, not vice versa. God does not give his spirit apart from the preparing work of the word and sacraments. The gifts are never to usurp the importance of preaching the word or the sacraments. Yet Luther still points to to the necessity of the so-called inner gifts. He's not saying throw them away. He's just saying this is a different kind of way that God approaches us. And this is why we should take time for welcoming these types of gifts. They're still extremely valuable. I like Martin Lloyd-Jones' explanation of this this inner way. And Lloyd-Jones is a much better preacher than me, and he's got a much cooler accent because he's British. 
So anytime, anytime you get a chance to listen to a, a British preacher, it just sounds better, honestly. So this is what he's saying. This is about that, that inner way that Luther is talking about. And, and I quote from, from Lloyd-Jones. A man and his little child are walking down the road, and they are walking hand in hand. And the child knows that he is the child of his father, and he knows that his father loves him, and he rejoices in that, and he is happy in it. There is no uncertainty about it at all, but suddenly the father, moved by some impulse, takes hold of the child and picks him up, cuddles him in his arms, kisses him, embraces him, showers his love upon him, and then he puts him down again, and they go on walking together. That is it. The child knew before that his father loved him, and he knew that he was his child. But oh, the loving embrace, this extra outpouring of love, this unusual manifestation of it, that is the kind of thing, the spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. This extra dose of God's love. These spiritual gifts bestowed upon us are to prove two things. God is real, and we are his children. But still, I don't think that that gets to the real core of why we have these gifts. Yes, God wants to show us his affection. Yes, God wants to be present with us. And yes, God wants to empower and equip his people. But hear this, church. All of this is done so that we might love the gift giver even more and give him all of the glory. The excited recipients of these kinds of gifts should naturally reply to them with sacrifices of thanksgiving, praise, and adoration. I don't know if you've ever seen a healing. I haven't, but my wife has experienced a healing. And could you imagine suffering some sort of ailment and all of a sudden, someone prays for you and you're healed like that? You would automatically praise God for that. And so would the person who laid their hands on you. That's some supernatural power. And you, it draws us into a deeper love with the Father. This morning's passage ended with the following verse. It says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. God is the one who determines who gets certain gifts and when they receive them. He's in charge. Does that mean we just sit there and let him be in charge? We don't desire these things? Jesus tells us to pray for the desires of our heart. And not only that, the Apostle Paul specifically tells us that we should eagerly desire spiritual gifts. So are we a body of believers who is praying for God to lavish his gifts upon us? You know what Presbyterians are known for? This picture kind of sums it up. It's a meme. That woman's the Presbyterian. So let's take that down. Presbyterians are known to be the intellectual and orderly brand of Christianity. Or at least that's what I like to think we're known for. And um, these are the characteristics, we, we value these characteristics because we, we find them in Scripture and we see that God and Paul obviously values these things. 
So that's great. We should be doing that. But at the same time, this is not a picture of the whole and complete church. I want to challenge us this morning. I want CPC to be known on the peninsula and beyond for being a head and heart church. For being a word and spirit church. One of the first things I did when I got here was I started snooping around. Started snooping around for those people with the more charismatic gifts. Because honestly, I don't have those. I, I have the gift of prophecy. And I sought out these individuals because I wanted to give them a green light to use them in my life and ministry. And part of the reason I felt obligated to do this was because something that happened a little over a year ago. I took uh, my high school students from Florida to a mission trip. And we, after a day of serving, we went into an extended prayer time. It was, an, it was a pretty long prayer time. And there was no, I didn't tell them how to pray. We just sat there and prayed. If someone felt like they needed to pray for someone else, they would go and pray for the other person. But I didn't tell them what to do. And in that moment, the Spirit shows up, right? As He often does when we are still before Him and call on Him. And in that moment, without even like doing a thorough gospel presentation or something like that, this kid just breaks down and accepts Jesus on the spot as his Lord and Savior. We hadn't told him how to do it. We hadn't given him the words for the sinner's prayer or anything like that. He just did it. So the Spirit was obviously moving. And then this young lady comes up to me with, with tears in her eyes. And she's, she's the young woman who's part of that the it family of the church. And it's the family that all of the other families kind of like, you know, compare themselves to. I haven't found that family here yet. You're all great families, right? And so she's got the highest academic honors, and she's a sports star, and both of her parents are trained psychologists. So they use their heads. And holding back tears, she began to tell me that when she's spending time alone with God, and when she's really pressing into him, she starts to mumble these incoherent words. Now, this young woman was telling me this as a confession because she was ashamed. And that broke my heart. Our very Presbyterian church and her very intellectual family had never told her about the gift of tongues. I asked her if in those moments in which she began to mumble, did she feel some sort of special connection with God? And her eyes began to lift and a smile came to her face. Yes. She told me it was the, the sweetest, most intimate experiences she had with God. She had been given this beautiful gift from her Creator, but nobody from our community knew it or affirmed it. Even though, just as I read, Paul clearly considers it a spiritual gift. And I don't want anyone here at CPC to feel ashamed for their gifts or weird or underutilized. In fact, I've already found members of this church who pray in tongues. One of them, no matter what she's doing, how busy she is, I guarantee you if, if you ask her to pray with her, she's going to pray with you. That's her gift. She, she looks forward to those opportunities. Some people have a gift of receiving words of knowledge. And this is an interesting supernatural thing that happens to some people that when they're praying and they're connecting with the Spirit, sometimes God, sometimes God puts 
pictures in their head or a word flashes in their mind and God wants them to communicate it to someone. It's just some supernatural word of knowledge. There are people here with that gift. And then there are people here who have the gift of healing. And one person in particular is one of the smartest people I know, just studies scripture and theologians like it's his job, even though he has another job. And you would never expect it, but he's so simplistic about it and humble about it, just saying, yeah, a couple times in my life I prayed for someone in the power, I just asked Jesus to heal them, and they got healed. Almost nonchalantly, but obviously he's super excited about it. So they exist here, and I don't know everyone, I haven't been here for three months, but it is a numbers game, and I guarantee you that other people have gifts like this. And these gifts are for the common good, after all. And I don't want us to put God in a box. I want to experience the fullness of what Christ has for his bride. But I also want to remain healthy. I want to remain orderly and intent on preaching the word with intellect, conviction, and the belief that it always takes precedence. Therefore, we must not start seeking out phenomena and strange experiences. Also, we must not be, we must not uh, desire the gift over the gift giver. What we must seek is the manifestation of God's glory displayed by his awesome power. And sometimes we just need to carve out space to let him show up. And I'm, I'm very excited because of the first two times I've preached here, I've got to preach on the first Sunday of the month. And this morning is really the greatest spiritual gift of all, the Lord's Supper. And in a few moments, we will commemorate the glorious truth that our great gift giver gave us the gift of himself. That's what this whole season's been about, essentially. He held nothing back from us, and he poured it all on us. And when he ascended to his rightful place, you know what he promised us? He promised us his spirit. It's the same spirit that mysteriously joins us this morning, the spirit that corrects, encourages, teaches, and even uses us his broken people to do amazing things. So let's be a church that wants more of the Holy Spirit. He's not some hokey-pokey afterthought, but instead is the literal spirit of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you all, but when I read about Jesus Christ, he does some awesome things. So I want some of that spirit here. (laughs) He has equipped each and every one of us so that we might go in power and authority in order to bless serve, teach, and God willing, even heal. Amen. Would you just close your